Okay, an official welcome. Welcome to Congregation Or Hadash. Uh, welcome to our Sunday rental location here at the Jewish Center. Uh, more importantly, welcome to San Mark Church and welcome to the eight. I'm very, very excited about this five-part series that we begin today over a very heavy topic as far as, let's have it on the screen. We do not have it on the screen. The meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? This is such a heavy topic. This is why we need time to talk it out in discussion. This is why we need five weeks to kind of open up this topic. But you notice it's kind of a, that funky video in the beginning. Anybody know who, uh, not the host, but who's the guest on the podcast? Elon Musk. I'm very fascinated by him. And I had to write it down because, you know, to sound really out there, right, we, he says we need to understand the scope and scale of consciousness. When he's asking what's the meaning of life, understanding the scope and scale of consciousness. Consciousness. What does that even mean? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that all of humanity is trying to figure out is what is the meaning of life? This is why so many people tried to find out the meaning of life through astrology, trying to find out what's the, you know, what's the whole point of the universe. This is why Elon Musk is spending billions of dollars to find out is there life outside there? Because we all intrinsically, in and within us, it's by divine design, we are curious as far as what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? To the point that some people try to find out through zodiac signs, right? This is a, this is a no, no judge, this is a judge-free zone, judge-free zone. Who's all into the zodiac sign stuff? You know, okay. So, don't put other, don't put people on the spot. I was pointing. <laughs> this is a judge-free zone. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Like, I'm not here to 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 bash zodiac signs. I, I'll admit. It's all about my pride of why I don't want to find out what my zodiac sign is because I don't want to be like put into a bubble of like, you know, this, oh, you're born whatever, so this means you're zodiac. Oh, it makes sense. What? No, I don't, I don't want any of that kind of stuff. So, but what I want to show is zodiac signs, astrology, and you name it. Within every human being, regardless of your worldview, there is a, a, a huge desire of wanting to know, is there more to life than this? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? You word it in however way you want, but people are always trying to find their purpose. People are trying to find out what is the meaning of life. This is why what's very popular now in America, and we talk about it a lot here because this is the state of our country, is follow your truth. Like, what is true to you? Now I'm pursuing the meaning of life in a very individualistic agenda. What's in it for me? And this is my truth. What, make, what makes me happy? And this becomes my drive. No one else gets me. I'm finding my own purpose of what is true for me. In the 1970s, there was a really big movement of self-help books. Self-help books. I'm not, it's, they're good. They're good. In balance, right? There's nothing wrong with self-help books, but it's in balance. But a big movement began. A seed was planted in the 1970s as far as self-help movement of like, you help yourself. So it really drove a message of individuality, of that you do what's best for you. You need to find help in a very individualistic agenda and in a, in a drive internally and personally and individually. So the self-help movement, which sparked in the 1970s in a current study that I read, from the year 2006, it recorded now that the self-help movement and books and, and you name it, everything related to self-help and conferences about the self-help movement, anything related to that category, is now it is a $9 billion industry. A $9 billion industry of people leaning in toward self-help conferences, self-help books, self-help, you name it. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with self-help within itself, 
But it needs to be in context. It needs to be complemented by other things. But when it becomes the driving force of healing, the driving force for finding the purpose of life, this is where it ends up leaving a huge void because it all becomes all about me. We make a big point that church should be the safest place for us to talk about anything. Church should be the most comfortable place for us to just be ourselves and we don't have to just always put on a smile and face and everything's fine. No, like we get it. Life is tough. Life is tough. And there are big storms that we go through are so painful and we begin to question everything. And sometimes phases of life are a little bit more calmer. But I think we can relate to the words of a prophet by the name of Jeremiah in the year 600 BC. He said these words. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? I'm not saying in a suicidal way, but I'm saying there's days where like, that's enough. Like I'm, I'm done with this world. If, if it's anchored in the resurrection, if it's anchored in heaven, there's days where we say, well, I'm done. Like, I, I want to go back to my eternal home. I want to go back to heaven. Like, this is home. And we end up saying words like this. When we look at the sorrow, when I look at, ever since I got out of the womb, I see trouble and sorrow. Like, especially these days, when you see trouble and sorrow and war around, you just feel like, right, of course, there's a temptation. It's the end of the world. They've been saying that from, from day one. But, to, but that, that's not our department. That's God's department. But going back to us, sorrow and grief becomes so heavy to the point we feel, okay, I think, like, this is not home. This is not home. And I, I'm ready to go back. This entire series that is driving our life group discussions, driving the A for the next five weeks, is based off a book that was very personal to me, and it's one of the top-selling books of all times, uh, written by a pastor named Rick Warren. The book is titled purpose-driven life, purpose-driven life. I haven't read it since 2007 until before prepping for this series, but this book really hits home to me. Do you ever, you guys, have you ever listen to an audio book or you read a book and you remember where you were when you read that thing or you remember the setting when that thing just really hits you? So in 2007, what sparked me to read the book, at the time, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and like, you know, you're in college, man. You feel like you're on top of the world. Everything is good. I'm at University of Georgia. Everything's great, right? And all of a sudden, boom, like, like, you don't know if your mom was about to die. So you begin to question everything. And then I was like, then you start questioning, what's the meaning of life? And then somebody recommended the book, Purpose Driven Life. And I remember certain parts, and we'll talk about the parts that really hit home to me, like, throughout the series. But there were certain parts I read, like, I know exactly where I was on campus. Even now, when I go to visit campus and, and hang out with the college students there, like, there are certain parts where I remember on campus, I remember where I was, like, reading that part of the book right there. So this book really hit home to me in, in a tough part of life. And the book is very simplistic, but very profound at the same time. And this is where we're getting many of the content and driving the series here. But obviously, we're, we're adding more to it. But this is kind of the basis of this entire series. Any successful corporation, organization, entity, and even person needs to have a mission. Needs to have a mission. Like, in order for anything to thrive, there needs to be, like, a compass to know what's the end goal, what's the bullseye, what are we aiming for, right? So, internally, that's what drives many organizations. Like, take Starbucks, for example. Like, Starbucks, 
their goal is not just to make coffee and to make profit, right? Maybe that's what we think, especially with the prices jacking up like crazy, right? Sometimes we feel like their, their only agenda is just to, to, to keep on, you know, getting more money from us, and that's their agenda, and that's their mission. But if you look at, on their website, this is their, this is their mission statement. It's really nice. With every cup, with every conversation, with every community, we nurture the limitless possibilities of human connection. That's Starbucks. It's nice. It's wordy. It's fluffy. It makes it warm. But that's their mission. So it's not just about like producing coffee and selling coffee and maximizing profit. But according to their mission statement, they're trying to create such a spirit in everything they do, every decision they make as an organization, as a company, needs to move, move toward this mission statement. So my question for you and me, and this is such a heavy question, this is why we need time to discuss it together. What drives you? What drives you? What gets you going? What, you, what empowers you? What fuels you to keep on going? Because there's so many things around this world, in the words of Jeremiah, there's so much sorrow that just we feel like, I'm done. I, 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 I want to give up. I just want to close the door. I want to turn on the lights, and I'm, I'm done. And those days do come. But the days where we, we're pushing through, what drives you? Is it just to get on to the next day? Is it just to get to the next paycheck? Is, is it just to follow the crowd as far as whatever the social norm is of America and just go along with it? What drives you to keep on going? Some people, again, don't misinterpret me here. Some people, because there's this innate desire for us to find something that drives us, we go along with whatever's popular around us. And please do not misinterpret me, especially now, this week. I'm all for protests, and I'm, I'm all for that. But especially in the past few years in American culture, people are wanting to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they do it to, to the point of just going along with the crowd because they're looking for something that drives them, something that keeps them going. I don't want just a paycheck and just go along with just eating out and, just so, and scrolling. And I want something more. So they're, they're, they're just, I'm going to follow along with the crowd. And of course, they're good, justifiable reasons. And don't get me wrong. They're good reasons. But for many people, they just go along with it because I want to be part of something bigger than myself. So I'm going to go along with the crowd. I'm going to go along with this protest, even if I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to go along with it. Again, please don't misinterpret me, okay? So it, they're, they're, we need protests. We need to, to stand up for truth and what you're passionate about. But sometimes we go along with it just because we're looking for something. We're looking for something that drives us. I shared a beautiful quote not a quote, a verse from scripture from King Solomon. And I feel like it really, really captures so much of American culture. And he says these words in the, in the year 950 BC. Sorry, I should say this. You need to choose what drives you or the world will. You got to choose what will drive you or that podcast, that YouTube channel, that person, it's not person, we live in the digital world, so it's not person anymore. That podcast, that YouTube channel, that, that's what's going to drive you. You're going to be like, yeah, 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 I'm for that. And you, you have to go along with it, because if you're not going to go along with it, then, then you're not part of the crowd. You need to be part of that movement. So if you don't choose yourself, then of course you're going to go along with whatever is popular, whatever is already moving. And I see it from middle schoolers. Oh, my Lord. They're so passionate about whatever. And I'm like, where did that come from? And I ask them questions like, can you explain X, Y, Z to me? Like, what the thing you're passionate about, about social justice and whatever. Like, I don't know, but we need to stand. Tell me, what do you think? We need to say, tell me. So we just, if you don't, like, if you don't choose, the world will choose it for you. 
your social media feed will choose it for you. Going back to King Solomon, or not going back, this is what I was trying to say. He said these words. When I surveyed all that my hands had done, this is the end of his life, King Solomon saying these words. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The sad reality, so many people reach the end of their life, whatever, whatever God appointed that time, whenever that end is, where, what am I doing? I've just been moving on to the next paycheck, moving up the corporate ladder, planning the next vacation, signing up the kids for the next activity, and in, we, you know, in our marriage, we've been living as roommates, just kind of go along with the flow and just clock in, clock out to everything, do church, do soccer practice, do vacation, do work, and, we just, and then I'm just chasing after what? Like, I, there's this invisible competition. I feel like I have to keep on pushing. I have to do this. I have to do that. And I have to keep on doing it. For what? And at the end, you look back at me like, man, I've just been chasing the wind. I've been doing nothing. I've been going in circles. I'm chasing my tail. Sometimes we end up saying these exact same words. You know what? I can't say sometimes. The times where I sit with people near the end of their life, these are the words that come out of their mouth. We need to clarify what is a goal and what is a mission. Or let me, let me put it this way. We need to d- d- differentiate between what's a mission, what's a goal, and what's a means to an end. L- let me explain. Like some people say, my mission, my goal is to get married. That's not the end goal. Like that's not the mission. Like some people feel like that, I, I, if I get married, then everything is fine. That's not the end goal. That, like, like, that's a means to an end. That helps me in my edification. That helps me in my growth. But that's not the end all be all. Or some people feel, um, if, if I graduate from college, that's the goal. Really? That's it? You just have a piece of paper that has your name? No, it's a means to an end. So we need to differentiate. What's the goal? Is the goal just to get married, just to go to college, just to get that job, just to promote? What's the goal? Is that the goal or is it a means to an end? So you have to have clarity on what's your mission, what's your goal. And, and I bring up the marriage thing because so many people feel like, you know, it, it, all my problems will be solved if I just get married. And that, I mean, all you married people are probably laughing inside your head because I'm laughing inside my head because we know that's not the truth. It's tough. It's tough. But it's beautiful. And it's the most edifying thing. The, 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 the iron sharpening iron stuff, it, it, it brings out gunk that's sitting within us. And it brings all that out. And it, it's cleansing. So it's tough work. But that's not the end goal. So some people, because you can blame Disney, you can blame how we romanticize marriage, but that's not the goal. That's a means to an end. That is a sacrament, especially if I look at it in its original design. It's a sacrament that leads me to edification, but it's not the end-all be-all. That's just one path that can lead me to edification, but it's not the end-all be-all. And many people are not called to it, so I I can't say that's the ultimate goal. Your mission statement will determine your success. Your mission statement will determine your success. And let me make this clear. I'm in no position to tell you your mission statement should be that you move up the corporate ladder and you get that position. I'm not a position to tell you. I'm not a position to tell you your mission goal is to have your children as being the most successful ever in planet history and have like uh, whatever. I don't know you can have higher than 4.0 GPA. I didn't have that when I was in high school, but you, but you can have 5.0 GPA and you want your kids, whatever. If that's your goal, I can't tell you that's right or wrong. Like that, if that's your mission, if that's your mission, you want to be able to, to, to look back and be like, we did it? Okay, I can't tell you if, that, if that's right or wrong. But I will tell you, you are missing. You are missing the fullest potential of the meaning of life. So I'm not here to tell you what your mission statement is. 
But I encourage you to question. If we question where you and I came from, if you and I question who you and I belong to, then it helps us have clarity on our mission statement. Just like if I take this, this nice podium here, right here, this, so imagine this is from Ikea, right? And we all know who have dealt with Ikea probably came in 4,500 pieces, right? And if you understand the maker, you understand how Ikea runs, then you understand how this works, and you probably know this is not going to last more than six months. You understand the maker. You understand, you understand the company. You understand their mission. You understand how they do things. So for me to understand how this works, I ask the inventor, right? I can't say this is a, a teacup, a kettle. I can't say this is a, a bed. No, I ask the inventor, what is it intended for? And then when I understand the maker, if I understand the inventor, I understand the company of how this design, then I'm able to use it to its fullest potential. So in the same way, if you and I begin to question Again, regardless of where your worldview is right now, the more we begin to question where you and I come from or who you and I belong to, or is there more to life than this, the more we're able to seek those questions and for it to come to a constant reality who is outside of time. Once we come to and continue on that journey, this is where you and I are able to have better clarity on our mission. I want to share with you various quotes from scripture and outside of scripture. But I don't, like, a big thing in Orthodox Christianity, it's not just the Bible says this, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. But I want you to understand how the Holy Spirit is working on the mouth of person X, person Y, because they're different people. So I want to share with you the words of an ex-terrorist who became one of the most prominent missionaries in Christian history. And I want you to hear the words in which St. Paul says this. He says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's pause right there. Like, I want you to be very, like, think through how he's so strategic of the words he's writing to the city of Ephesus. He's telling them that you are God's workmanship. I don't know about you, but what comes to mind when I hear the word workmanship, I think of a... Uh, What's a person who makes things with wood? A carpenter? Carpenter. So I, I think of a guy who owns like a, a carpentry shop and he has like all this different stuff in the front and I tell him, hey, show me your finest workmanship. And he'll probably be like, gotcha, come back. And he goes, takes me to the back of the shop and he shows me his finest whatever, clock, finest whatever. And he says, this is my workmanship. Because that's his finest work that he takes pride in. That's what comes to mind for me when I hear the word workmanship. For St. Paul to say that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like, again, this is the million-dollar question throughout this entire series. Do you see yourself as God's workmanship? Do you see yourself beautifully and strategically delicately made as being God's workmanship to do good works or it's just about me like you have been beautifully wired and given certain resources and certain doors have been open and certain doors have been closed for for you to be where you are right now because you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared way before you were even a cell in your mother's womb Many of you might have been aware of, a, of a, the passing of a young person um, last week, the week before, something like that. Um, and and 
it's the hardest thing to, to, to give a sermon. One of my, the older fathers told me if I can share a word. So I, I shared a word at the funeral. And the thing that I kept on said, I probably said it 20 times just because it was just all emotional and it's so true. And it has to be in front of us. This is not home. This is not home. Yes, we put so much blood, sweat, and tears on making ourselves comfortable in this place. But the reality is we know that no matter what we do, how much we gain, how much we try to get comfortable, all this, we're still uncomfortable. It still doesn't hit the spot. We're still trying to look for something more because this is not home. And I, and I, I was mentioning at, at, at the funeral, if I embrace the reality that this is not home, and I embrace the reality that ultimately heaven is home, if I embrace that reality, and my question to them was this, my question to you is this, should that affect how I manage my life? If this is not home, and there is home, should that impact how I manage my life here? Like, let me tell you, you don't have to raise your hand, but when you go on vacation and stuff like that, right? I, I feel like there's two people in this world. There's people, uh, like my wife, which wants to, unpack everything from the luggage and put it in the drawers as if, like, we're going to be there for, like, 12 hours. We're going to be there for three days. I got to unpack everything. And there's other people who just take their food, take their, their clothes from their luggage because it's a short trip, right? I feel like there's two people in the world and they fall into that. Right? So I married that one that needs to make sure the luggage is empty, whatever. But if you know, if you know you're going to be in a place for 24 hours, you're not going to go into the hotel room and be like, ah, oh, that picture, uh, you're not going to call the lobby. lobby. Can we change the picture? You're not going to do all of that. Right? You're not going to go, I don't know if I like that picture over there. You're, you're not going to do all that. You're not going to you know, order on Amazon new bed sheets if, and get comfortable. Why? Because it's not home. If, you're, if you know you're not there permanently, you know you're not going to, um, at least for me, I'm not going to pack everything out of my luggage and get all comfortable and everything. No, because I know it's not home. So if we understand the reality, this is not home. And I think if we look deep inside every human being, outside of the Christian worldview, nothing here is really able to fill in every void within us. If, we, if we're honest with ourselves, and if we embrace the reality that home is where we came from and where we will eventually go back, if we embrace that reality, I feel that should affect every decision of how I manage my life. I want to share with you the words of a church father from the year 410 AD. He's from North Africa. His name is St. Augustine. I, I, don't, I don't want to just put the quote because I want you to understand where he comes from. This is a straight-up thug, straight-up gangster who ended up becoming a monk, but his life was crazy. I mean, crazy. I mean, like, it would be a rated R movie if you just read everything that he did, you know, leading up to his conversion to Christianity. And this is his words. This is his prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. How beautiful is that? Our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Right? We're always on the go, trying to fill in, trying to, we're, we're, we're doing stuff to try to find rest. Ah, finally, we made it. We, we're, now we're comfortable. We, 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 we got the, the, the whatever. You fill in the blank. You, you and I are working so hard to find rest in blank. Right? Or this is the busy season. But once we get here, then everything will be fine. Once we get here, then everything will be okay. Or once I, or if I am able to get X, Y, Z, whatever, you fill in the blank for you, then I'll, then I'll be able to have rest. Then everything will be okay. But the reality is, and you, we, we know this from life experience, you finally get whatever, but then you're still looking for more. 
our souls are restless until we rest in you. I feel these words would kind of be empty if it just came from like some saint that just like, you know, came out of the womb with a halo around his head and just everything's immaculate for that person. No, but these, like, these are real people who struggle in sin and have pain and addiction and, and, and just like you and me. And these, this is his prayer in which we hold on to. In today's divine liturgy, which is our, our main service here at San Mark Church, there was a, the first opening verse from the book of Acts from today. I would love to have this written on my tombstone. These, the words, I want this on my tombstone. These are the words. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. I would love that. Now when Nathaniel had served God's purpose in his own generation, Nathaniel was pointed at this moment in time, this specific time, and these are the, this is what God has entrusted him with. Okay, he served God's people in his own time. He fell asleep. Do you know why, by the way, the, the language is he fell asleep? Because there's no death. Do you know, what, you know what happens when you and I sleep? We wake up. So that means there is a resurrection that awaits us. So this is why a common language from the early centuries of Christianity, that there's no death. It's a departure. There's no death. Someone fell asleep. And this is the language we use about Jesus. He fell asleep because he came to redefine what death is. He abolished death. Forget redefine. He abolished death, trampled down death by his own death and gave us a new definition, a new understanding of resurrection. So for the author to say when David had served God's people in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. We're renting this body. This is flesh. Comes and goes. Not comes and goes. It goes. <laughs> it goes. And that's it. Then we go back home. I would love these words to be on my tombstone. I want to share with you that throughout this series, we're going to be looking deep into the writings of an early church father by the name of St. Gregory. St. Gregory. And this is in the year 370 A.D., this is around the time the Bible was formally put together. So the words of St. Gregory, the prayers of St. Gregory, is what we pray liturgically till today in the Coptic Orthodox Church. This is titled the Gregorian Liturgy. So St. Basil Liturgy, or the Basilian Liturgy, is the common liturgy we pray every Sunday. But certain times, feasts, and random days, or we might pray the prayers of St. Gregory. The words are so profound, so personal, so intimate. And this is what will kind of... will. The, the, the words of St. Gregory will complement our series throughout. Um, here are his words. O you the being. <laughs> From the beginning. O you the being. Like God, he's saying God is the constant. The, he is the being. We are not human beings. We're human becomings. We're trying to become like the being. Like he's trying to find the language to describe who God is. So he's saying he is the being. He's having a hard time finding words because words limit something. Once I give a word definite, it limits it. He's saying, you are the being. Oh, you the being. Who was and who abides forever. So he's making clear from the beginning, you are the being. You have no limit. There's no, there's no boundaries to you. You're outside of time. Oh, you the being. Who was and who abides forever. The eternal. Co-essential. Co-essential meaning being of the same essence as someone else, which we'll find out. Co-essential. Co-enthroned. Co-creator with the Father. So this is, this is a prayer targeting Jesus. You are the being. You have always been the being. 
You are co-enthroned, your co-creator with your father, who for the sake of goodness only brought man into existence out of non-existence and put him in the paradise of joy. Saying, Lord, out of your goodness for humanity, out of your all-roaming love, you have placed creation, your creation, us being created, you are the creator. You placed us in the paradise of joy. This, this is bliss. This is perfection. This is heaven. This is where you have beautifully originally designed for humanity to dwell. And when he fell through, here's, here's the big buzzword, deception. Not, we're not jumping into sin. Deception. You know what deception is? Like deception is like, we know what the truth is, but I kind of, mm, kind of, you know, go around it. It's deceiving. It's cunning. That's the language of how we describe the devil. The devil's not going to come to you with like uh, thorns and a, the, the, the pitchfork thing and say, I'm Satan, worship me. No, that, 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 no. He's the deceiver. He is the deceiver. So de deception, like saying, oh, it's not a big deal if I do this. And, uh, you know, he deserves that or she deserves that. We begin to twist it. We begin to twist the truth. But when humanity fell through deception, right, that's exactly what brought a wedge between Adam and Eve, is deception. Through the enemy and the disobedience of your holy commandments. So deception gave birth to disobedience. We're saying, well, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. So we completely abolish God's command. God's command is not to be a party pooper. God's command is not to make you and I, our life miserable. And, and for us, to, no. God's command is for us to have the fullness of life. God's command is for us to enjoy everything he has given us. It's out of his love. Parents, you get this. You're not giving, all parents, majority parents, you're not giving commands, you're not giving commands to make your, your child miserable. It's out of your love for them. If you want them to, to, to find life. So disobedience gave birth to, deception gave birth to disobedience of your holy commandments. You desire to renew him and to restore him to his first estate. Don't make this a him thing. Make this a you thing. That your heavenly father desired, desires, to renew and to restore you to your first estate. What is your first estate? Heaven. For you and I to belong to our eternal home, the paradise of joy. This is home. He hated seeing deception and disobedience seep into humanity and, and, and cause division in every aspect of creation. This next verse, this is from the, the scripture. This is St. Paul. St. Paul begins his verse by saying, he chose us. And I don't want, like, I don't want to show the rest of the verse. And it's totally fine if you're not fully bought into Jesus choosing you. But I, at least for now, for week one, I want you to question. If you are chosen, which the answer is yes, what impact does that have on how you view life? But for St. Paul to begin this verse by saying, you are chosen, or God chose us, what impact? Don't, 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 don't read this through like dry text. He chose us. He continues to tell the people of Ephesus. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That God has chosen you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God has created you to be the icon of him. This is the original estate. This is the perfect, beautiful, original design of humanity. We need, if we're, if we're going to talk about for five weeks here, the meaning of life, we first need to talk about 
day one of how you and I originally designed. If I wanna know what this is all about, I need to know how, what's, what's the original design of this? Who's the company who made this? So if I'm, if I'm gonna understand myself, I need to first start getting to question and unpack all the heavy questions are where you and I come from. You don't have to believe right now if you are chosen. No pressure, come as you are. But I pray by the end of this series, you have clarity that you are chosen. Every divine liturgy in the Orthodox Church, specifically in the Coptic tradition, when we read passages from Scripture, there's an ending to the Catholic epistle from one of the other epistles. And the church, every, 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 every divine liturgy, this refrain is always, not refrain, this conclusion verse is always said. Sometimes we read it so much, and we kind of, and deacons, uh, there's not much deacons here, but I want to tell deacons, don't, just because you read it every Sunday, don't, they don't know the world and things were, be clear, right? So it needs to be clear. These, these are the words, which coming from scripture, that is recited and said at the end of every time the epistle is read in every divine liturgy. But don't, even if you're, if this is your first time or hundredth time, like, let's digest this together. St. John, a first eyewitness, the beloved of Christ, he said these words. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You and I get this. Even if you're not a full Jesus follower, you and I get this. The things of this world, this temporal world, that seems so attractive and so shiny, and I, I, I need to have that. St. John is reminding us, and the church is reminding of this every single Sunday, every divine liturgy. The church is wanting to keep this in the forefront of, in front of us. Do not love the world and do not fall into this consumeristic mentality. If it's the eyes of the passions of the flesh, eyes, your eyes, your flesh, you name it. Don't fall into that trap because that's going to leave you into a darker hole and you're going to still be wanting more. It's not going to quench your appetite at all. You're still going to be desiring more. Don't fall into that trap of consumerism of this temporal world because you are not of this world. This is not home. So don't fall into that. But he who does the will of God this is the person who abides, not in this, just this temporal world, but abides forever. For those who signed up for Life Group, which I hope, and it's still not too late, we're going to talk this out even further. Because content is one thing, the aid is one thing, but we need to talk this out because this is heavy stuff. So I encourage you, if you have not already, do sign up for our Life Group. And then what you'll see on the church social media beginning tonight and tomorrow, we're going to do a five-day Bible plan specifically related to this. So you'll see the link for the Bible app and for us to do this plan together. And we'll pick up uh, session two next week on this topic. Let's stand up together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you have chosen us. You have chosen us for a very specific purpose, and nothing is by coincidence to you. Nothing happens at random, but all of it is in your control. 
Lord, we desire for you to take your words, take this word of this message, and for it not to just settle in our head, but for it to dwell within our hearts. And more than that, that it leads to action. Lord, we pray for all those who are suffering right now in every aspect in, in our country and in the world at large. Those who are lonely, those who are questioning the purpose of life, those who are questioning your love. Lord, I ask that you give them peace, that even in the darkness, Lord, you are there to shed light. Our lives are in your hands, Lord. And we surrender ourselves, our will, our ego, we surrender all of that to you. Lord, we pray for those who have no one to remember them. We pray for those who have signed up for life groups or are thinking about it or debating it or questioning it. Lord, I pray that you dwell in those conversations on this topic. Guide us for us to see with clarity, for us to see ourselves in the same way that you see us. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We will continue session two next Sunday.